Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are storing, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with Brian O'Neill Hughes, who's a head of outreach at <laughs> Adobe. The head of outreach, not a head of outreach. I can be both. That's fine. You can be both. So uh, thank you for joining us this week. We are also, again, joined with Rob Grimm. Always. And Renee Robin, who's <laughs> our favorite Canadian. I don't think anybody has ever done yeah, that. Wee. Wee. <laughs> All right. I just got favorite Canadian that title just, now. That just happened. Yeah. Favorite Smurf. Yeah. Favorite Canadian. You're both. You're yeah. two for one. I'm getting two titles. I wonder what my third one's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, let's. you're the first person uh, that we have from Adobe. Okay. And we love your products. So let's start there. How did you get into working for Adobe and how long have you been there? Sure, yeah. I'll give you a probably a longer answer than you want. But I went to the Seabold Imaging Show in 1996 uh, ostensibly to see what the future of photography looked like because I worked at a high-end photo retailer at the time. And I got as far as the Adobe booth, and I saw Russell Brown demoing Photoshop 3, and I was so just blown away by it that I watched the same demo like three times, and I decided then and there, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for those guys doing that, whatever that is. I didn't understand really any of it. I didn't, <laughs> didn't own a computer, certainly didn't own Photoshop, um, and had no idea what, what Russell did. What were the features in Photoshop 3? <clears throat> like layers. Layers. We're talking basic. Best in layers. Yeah. Came basic okay. Back in the Quadra 800. Yeah. Is your first copy pirated? Most important question. <laughs> All right, let's moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that we've discovered in this series of podcasts, yeah. that a lot of people have pirated yeah. a copy Every, of. Everyone yeah. barred. Back in those days, it was like 16 floppy disks, so you couldn't right. lose anything. So I saw that. And I had this absurd idea that I was going to move to Silicon Valley and, and work at Adobe. And somehow, within a two-year period, that's exactly what I did. And I ended up uh, – I joked that I would have filled the candy jar, cleaned the floors. I would have done anything. Um, but I ended up testing a consumer product, consumer imaging product called Photo Deluxe that used to ship with scanners. Um, remember those? Yeah. And uh, that project got canceled, and I scrambled because I thought, oh, I'm so close. Now I'm going to lose it. And I ended up on the Photoshop team testing Photoshop. Uh, so for the first five years of my career, I just was paid to break Photoshop. How did you get their attention? And you said it took a couple of years. What were you doing to get Adobe's attention? Yeah, so I I moved up to the valleys. So I got myself in the area. I parlayed a copy of Photoshop. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I like he's used borrowed, parlayed, deftly put, acquired. Yeah, that's the, the pirate way to say it. Found myself before a copy of Photoshop. Um, and I got a job serving 16 uh, camera stores as their digital image manager doing, like, photo restorations and stuff like that. So I was forced to just live in Photoshop all day, every day for two years. So I got to know the app pretty well. And I was amazed when I came into Adobe um, that the people on the team weren't really users. They were – they came from all different walks of life because as they were coming up, there weren't really computer science majors. Mm-hmm. So they were philosophy majors and art majors. Um, none of them really used the app a lot. And digital photography was just starting to happen. So that wasn't really a thing either. Um, so well, I this, was this fascinates me. There were philosophy majors on the Photoshop. Yeah, team. there still are. Yeah. Wow. what That's cool. I, I like that. 
I don't know why I like it, but I do. What's the thought process behind that for Adobe to put such an eclectic group of individuals on such a specific item? Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Photoshop team is once someone finds their way there, they rarely leave. Um, and I spent 15 years on the team and I left, and that's kind of unusual. Most people, that's it. Once they're there, they don't go anywhere. Um, so I think the one common ingredient with everyone is passion. And so you see a lot of liberal arts. You see a lot of different things. Um, but it's a cast of characters. I mean, they're all sorts of pretty pretty bizarre people, big yeah. big brains. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So, Myself excluded. So what happened in those 15 years? Like what role did you play on the Photoshop team? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I sort of established myself right away as a user advocate. I used the product. I loved the product. I knew a lot of people who used the product. And much to my surprise, that was kind of unusual. Um, I also came from a photography background. Much to my surprise, that was kind of unusual. Uh, so I was sort of the the voice of the user. Uh, I started doing books and magazines, um, you know, just trying to get a little more outside of just testing the app. And then I was very fortunate uh, that one of the product managers, I, I figured out that's what I wanted to do. Um, one of the product managers went out on maternity leave and I stepped in for her. And they said, hey, you know, when she comes back, that's it. There's no, there's no job, but you can do it while she's gone. And I was just bound and determined to do the absolute best job that I could so that they couldn't possibly <laughs> let me do anything other right. than that. Uh, and thankfully, that's what happened. You know, I just, I, I really, I just went nuts. I, I really dove into it and fell madly in love with that side of the job, which was, you know, half inward facing, directing the product and half outward facing, both telling the story and learning more about what people needed the app to do. Honestly, it makes me question the intent of Photoshop. If they didn't have photographers as part of their kind of focus group and, and they weren't really representing the user, were they thinking that it was going to be what it what it became? What what were they looking for Photoshop to be at the time? Because it was a very nebulous and very new technology. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing about Photoshop is it's changed its spots so many times over the years, which I, I think is why it's around and doing so well. It was initially Thomas Knoll not wanting to do his homework. He was avoiding doing his thesis in college. And so he came up with this application um, on the side that could that could read images and show them on screen. His brother, John Knoll, you know, who mm -hmm. uh, you know, did the recent Star Wars movie and has done tons of stuff with ILM, um, he was the one who saw, hey, you know, this is, this is valuable. This is important. This is a really cool thing. They originally bundled it uh, with a scanner because that's where it made the most sense. And again, Russell Brown saw Photoshop brought it to John Warnock, our, our founder and CEO, and said, hey, you got to check this out. We briefly looked at licensing it, and then we acquired it outright. So it it had a strange start to begin with. Mm -hmm. So then it was this way of getting things into the computer and doing things with them, although uh, John Warnock says, you know, when we first acquired it, there was n really no way to get images into the computer. There was no way to get them out. If you could get an image in, you could only manage about one of them but fundamentally, it seemed like a good idea, right? So there was actually no use for Photoshop when we were when we acquired it. Scanners came along um, before digital cameras really took off, and that was a thing. It was the web that made Photoshop so relevant. So when I joined in 98, 99, um, Save for Web was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Image Ready was a big thing. You know, keep mm -hmm. in mind, the web hit in a huge way in 96. Right. So Photoshop had changed its spots then. Later, it would change with digital photography, video, 3D. It's kind of always adapting to whatever's going on. 
Brian, we found out earlier today there's around 24 versions. What does the process look like when you update and like, how do you decide which features to add that people really need? Yeah, so the process has changed in a uh, subscription world because we can release updates whenever they're ready. It used to be that you had to wait for these sort of monolithic releases, and that's when the features would come out. Uh, as far as establishing what those features are, obviously that changes some with the times, but it's always a blend of the things that you have to do, you know, if, uh, operating system change, hardware requires something significant, um, the things that people want you to do, you know, just you hear overwhelming feedback. We need you to solve this problem, whatever that might be. And there's there's a lot of those from a lot of different directions. And the things that are uh, available to you, you know. So just as an example, uh, when we were uh, doing CS5, we pretty much rewrote the entire application to run 64-bit native on the Mac. It required an insane amount of work. We knew we had to do it. We didn't have any other choice but to do it. It was going to be really tough, though, to say, hey, here's CS5. We spent more work than ever on this, and it addresses more memory. So naturally, everyone wants to go out and upgrade it. That just wouldn't have worked. So we had to double down on figuring out what was available to us. And so at that time, I managed a group called Tech Transfer. And we went to the labs, and we went to the universities, and we licensed a bunch of technology because we needed to build a release because the engineers were so busy rewriting the app. So... It's a little different every time, um, but thankfully, we have such a uh, vocal community of users. And uh, again, they're everywhere. They're architecture, engineering, automotive, art, all the different things you would think of, plus a bunch that wouldn't occur to you. And they all have their thoughts on what they want the app to do. Um, so there's a long, long, long list of, of things that need to be done. And you really have to sort of put it in terms of what's a problem and then what's the solution rather than here's the problem they're telling you they want you to fix. That that can get sticky. Uh, you need to really understand what they're trying to do in order to figure out what the fix is. Are there individuals that come out with things like the clone stamp or is that like a team has come together for like a clone stamp? Yeah, so just about everything is some sort of collaboration. I mean, it's very much a team. There are a few people on the team who are especially innovative. There's a gentleman named Jeff Chen who's got, you know, north of 80 patents. He did the healing brush. Uh, he did the healing brush with another guy. Um, so those patents, his name is on that patent? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Outside of Adobe or inside of Adobe? Do they co-own the patent or how's that, how does it work? Yeah, That's... so he works for Adobe. His name is right. on the patent, but he did it under Adobe, so the technology work belongs to right. Adobe. But, I mean, you look at this guy's wall and it's just... You know, it's a tapestry of, of, of patents. patents. It's like cool. framed. Well, oh, very yeah. cool. It's incredible. So he's like a local celebrity inside he the is. Adobe culture. He is, yeah. He was also inducted into the Hall of Fame a few years ago, and very rightfully so. He's he's had a huge impact. Um, so there are people who are just wildly innovative, but all of it is a collaboration. It's, you know, it's it's all done by uh, Mindshare. What code do you have to understand or learn to be an engineer to design Photoshop? Like, I know nothing about the code behind it, so it's wildly interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Photoshop's code has evolved a lot over the years. It was, like a lot of our applications, it was built first on the Mac and then later ported to Windows. Um, so there have been rewrites. This happened, with, uh, this happened with Lightroom, too, where it was written on the Mac, and then only after it was successful did we realize we have to duplicate that thing that was built on the Mac to run on the Windows and look just like it. Um, so Photoshop, you know, is primarily written in C++. 
Um, there's a lot of you know scripting behind the scenes. There's a lot of GPU optimization. It takes full advantage of multi-cores and 64-bit and hardware and chips. Uh, it's evolved a lot over the years, but it's a 27-year-old app. It's it's a lot of old code doing pretty remarkable things. It's also extensible, right? That's part of the secret of Photoshop is that you can plug into it. Uh, whether you're bringing stuff into it or sending stuff out of it, you can get it to do more than it does out of the box. Photoshop is interesting because it seems that so much of the um, the capabilities that were first there mm-hmm. are not only still there, they've obviously improved. So much has been added on to it. And it, it, it's almost, to me, it seems that there are 200 ways to execute one move. Yeah. In, in photo- like if you want to do something in Photoshop, you could do it through so many different paths. It's incredibly complicated. Was that intentional or did that just kind of happen with the evolution of the program? It happened with the evolution of the program. And I think that it's... Um, it makes it tricky. So I always say that, you know, Photoshop is, it's like walking into a garage with every tool that was ever made for every, from, from, you know, like jewelry tools to, you know, stone carving, it's everything you could ever want. The problem is the onus is all on the person who walks in the garage to figure out how to use them. Um, Some are better than others. Some are just awful and they're still there. Uh, So really, yeah. Do you absolutely. feel that some of those those tools are terrible? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you want to share any of those sure, awful tools? Like, sure. I, yeah. I would love to know from an Adobe guy what what he doesn't like about the program. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I don't like and what drives me crazy, and you know what's been around forever, and I'll try to explain why. Although yeah. I I struggle with that myself. If you look at say um, filter sharpen, you go to filter sharpen, and you see a lot of stuff. You see sharpen. You see sharpen edges. You see sharpen more. You see uh, unsharp mask, and you see smart sharpen. You also see, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm forgetting one. I do think in Photoshop, but uh, only only so many levels deep. There are a lot of different ways to sharpen. Uh, most of those are absolutely tragically useless. They they are only good for creating artifacts. Uh, sharpen, sharpen edges, sharpen more. Unsharp mask is pretty good, but smart sharpen is a lot better. Shake reduction. Shake reduction there. is the other one there. See, that's counterintuitive. You wouldn't think that yeah, would be yeah. sharpen. Uh, so the the reason that those are in there, they were in there since day one. The reason we haven't taken them out is what will happen is you'll go to remove one of these things, and the phone will start ringing, or the you know you'll start getting the emails saying, "I use that to create artifacts. I use that to weather my images. I use that because I get this particular look, and then I do this." And you realize how many edge cases there are that whether it's good or bad, people implement it. Use for it. Yeah. yeah. And they they write it into these really old actions and they've got these scripts. And you realize Photoshop is so established that if you go pulling out one little thing like that, for some people, that's going to knock over their whole house. That makes perfect sense because in, in many ways, as you're writing the program and you're improving things, you want to get rid of stuff that you know is better. Yeah. yeah right. There's something better for it, rather. So pull it out. But right. when it's been in, in use for 27 years and people have a methodology for using that tool, if you pull it out from under them, they're kind of in a lurch. Yeah. Yeah. I joke that if Photoshop were your car's stereo, uh, it would be like an eight track player and a DAT and a compact disc player. There'd be, um, you know, uh, every different equalizer. There'd be AM, right. FM. You would have every instantiation. You'd have to have a reel to reel in there. Come on. There, that would be in there. there. There might even be a record player in there, even though that wouldn't make sense in a car. You would have it all right there, even though there is only one best, most current way to do it. So right. which which sharpening 
option is your favorite then? Smart Sharpen. Um, and that's a surprise to a lot of people because when you put the word smart in there and then you put it in front of a power user, they assume that they're smarter than it. And so they immediately shirk that and they don't want anything to do with that. They like Unsharp Mask because it has a weird name. Um, you know, it sounds like the opposite of what it does. Yeah. Why, why is, is there a reason it's the Unsharp Mask for it, sharpening? It goes back to graphic design terminology. Uh, that's the thing with Photoshop. A lot of the terminology in there references a different time. And so for as little sense as some of it made to me coming up, I'm sure now I, I meet some of these kids at Photoshop World, they must think we're just speaking a foreign language. Like, what are you talking <laughs> right. about? What, what's dodge and burn? What, what is that? Why are you saying those words? Um, Unsharp Mask is it's pretty good. Smart Sharpen allows you to sharpen just highlights, just shadows. It allows you to save presets, gives you a better preview. Uh, it just it's a better version of Unsharp Mask. My suggestion at the time was if it's so good, let's replace Unsharp Mask with it. But again, that's disruptive to people who already have an established work workflow. And Unsharp Mask is pretty entrenched. We got into a conversation earlier about Photoshop and Lightroom. And for a long time, there was conversation about them eventually merging. Photoshop was going to die. It was going to come inside of Lightroom or vice versa. Um, and I guess in some ways, a lot of people have wondered why. And I think that's the reason why it never has happened is if you remove any of these tools, you're going to have almost uproar from so many of your users. Can you never meld those, those two programs? Um, yeah. So, I mean, the thing to, to understand there is I, I gave you the analogy of this huge garage full of tools. Yeah. And it's got everything. Photoshop serves so many different folks. Lightroom is very prescriptive. Lightroom is not that right. at all. Lightroom is a, a smaller toolbox that said, here's your hammer, here's your screwdriver, you know, here's your, here's your this, here's your that. That's all you need. This is the right stuff. And furthermore, here it is in the basic order that you want to use it in these little task-based modules. Um, Lightroom at the time was really a wild idea, this notion of subtractive software where you distill things down to just what you need, and you apply it to a volume of images because Photoshop's no good at, at doing anything to more than one image. Lightroom's great at doing things globally to a whole bunch of images because of its the, the way that it's architected. You're always working on the original. You're just passing around a little text file that describes how the sliders move. It's incredibly elegant, but it's limited. You can't do a bunch of you know manipulation or, or transformation. Um, so to answer your question, those two aren't going to meld together for a few different reasons. I mean, you'll see them, they're, they're really well integrated and they're very complementary. But Photoshop is used less and less by photographers and Lightroom's used more and more. But at the same time, Photoshop is used more and more by tons of other people. Yeah, graphic designers. I know more graphic designers who work in Photoshop than they do in Illustrator too. Yeah. It's really kind of shifted. Originally, Illustrator was their program. Right. Uh, and now so many graphic designers are working almost exclusively in Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible the things people do in Photoshop that you would never even think. You know, there's tons of forensic uh, stuff that happens in it. There's tons of uh, research because it's got, you know, it's got all sorts of features um, for the science and medical markets as well. There's there's a lot of stuff that happens in Photoshop you wouldn't even Seriously. imagine. Yeah, that's cool. I heard from uh, in in conversation with a, a retoucher that <clears throat> has been retouching for a long time with really high end clients mentioned that. A, a, the way he put it was Adobe used to have the engineers make improvements. Mm. Now it's more of the marketing team doing outreach um, from the community and getting feedback. Is that true? Has, has, uh, has that changed over the years on how you guys decide on what is new? Yeah. So I'd sure like to think so. I mean, it, the engineers are brilliant and they're wonderful. Um, 
the way that it used to work is that we would get some really cool features, like you'd get a healing brush or you'd get a, uh, you know, whatever it might be, a, a new feature, and you'd build a story around that. But the engineers were busy working on their stuff, and they'd give you what they had when it was ready. And in the days of box software, that actually predates the suites, that particular example is Photoshop 7. Uh, that made sense. That was fine. We had long enough to build a story, and the app was young enough that everything was kind of miraculous. But as the app evolved and as the user base got more you know, established and settled into a workflow, it was really time to start listening to the users and having them drive the future of the application. And so that was, you know, the, if I look back on my own career, that's the thing I'm most proud of is connecting with those people and, and being that voice who drove what users wanted back to the app. That was always my thing. Do you, do you think the, the big next big innovative changes that can come in Photoshop are going to come from the users or the engineers? Because oftentimes, like the healing brush, for example, that's something that I, I think a lot of photographers maybe would have never considered. Like, oh, let's just have a brush. It's just like, boop, fixes it. Yeah. You know, that came from like an engineer brain and solved incredible problems for, for artists. Yeah, that's um, a fantastic point. It's a very, very good point. You know, it goes back to the whole Henry Ford thing where he says, you know, if I asked them what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Right. That, you know, innovation yeah, right. isn't just about asking people what they want because you have things they don't even know they want. Great example of that uh, was content aware fill. Nobody said, do you have some magical thing that will remove something and fill it in with what's around it? And I don't have to do anything. No one ever asked for that. But of course, once we put that in there, the world flipped out. They were like, this is amazing. So you're always going to have that kind of innovation. And if you ever go to Adobe Max, I don't know if you guys have ever been to our show that we do. That no, we're yeah, going to the head. next one. I oh, want to go so bad. I've never been. You guys are going to love it. It's it's a big party, but it's also, you know, there are 11,000 people like last party? Time. I don't really like the party. Uh, <laughs> 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 you guys are going to have a blast. There's great bands. There's there's amazing technology. I heard one of the Tarantino things, was there maybe one or two years. Quentin was Tarantino year? was there last year. Uh, Baz Luhrmann was there the year before. I mean, it's... Whose job is it to reach out to these people and be like, hey, you want to... Uh, you know, there are a few people who are involved in that, but some of our execs, you get the feeling that they're special, that they're just crossing off a list of people they've always wanted yeah, to, like, list know, to work with. That's the feeling I <laughs> get with really the bands cool. as well. You know, we had the National, we had Weezer, we had we've had like great bands there. Yeah, like, oh, the National is awesome. We had the Black Keys there. We've had amazing <sighs> bands. Oh, my seriously, we were just bumping them right when you came in. Black it's, Keys is on. Like I said, it's it, it sort of is. It's just great stuff every direction you go. It's it's wonderful. One of the things that happens there, back to your uh, question, is that they'll trot the engineers themselves will get on stage. And historically, Max was run out of the same theater as the Emmys. So when I say on stage, we're talking about a very intimidating stage. I'm I'm used to doing that kind of stuff, and it's still nerve wracking. These are guys who don't come out of their office, and suddenly they're standing there in front of ten thousand people, and they're showing what they've been working on. And the response to that often guides uh, what happens to the technology afterwards. That is so cool. All right, so That's back cool. to content aware. Yeah. Whose idea was that, and where were you when, like, that was presented, and, like, what was your reaction? Yeah, so oh, I yeah. was very fortunate to be uh, managing that group, uh, the tech transfer group. That goes back to CS5, that period where we were sort of scrambling to build a story and look for cool technology. And uh, going back to the, the guy that I told you about, Jeff Chen, the one with all the patents, um, Jeff not only knew of a bunch of cool technology throughout the company, but he knew how to take it from an idea into the product. Because for something to get into Photoshop, you can't just drop it in there and hope it's going to work. It has to play with RGB, CMYK. It has to play 8-bit, 16-bit. 
it's got to be able to scale and support images that are, you know, multiple terabytes that have hundreds, maybe thousands of layers. Photoshop is wow. a very hostile environment. You know, it's 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 <laughs> I've never thought of it That's that way. That's an interesting, yeah. Yeah, interesting descriptor. A hostile yeah. environment. Yeah, I mean, it's coding wise and and development wise, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, you can't just drop something in that hasn't been vetted and hope that it works out because people are using Photoshop to build billboards and movies and stuff. So it's right. if it's going to break, it's going to break really quickly. So Taking something from an idea into Photoshop is not trivial, uh, and Jeff's really great at that. And and that's that team did all sorts of stuff. They did Puppet Warp. They did the I don't know if you guys have seen the Face Aware Liquify, where you just touch the corner of the mouth and make it smile. That started on a mobile app, and then that worked its way into Photoshop. That's this group of tech transfer folks who are always working with the researchers and the. Uh, you know, the latest, greatest, crazy stuff. Sounds like fun. Is Photoshop ever going to work on Linux? Okay, so ever. is Photoshop ever going to work on Linux? This is where, like, my uh, PR handler usually jumps out of the closet <laughs> and pulls me away. <laughs> um, so Photoshop once ran on Unix. I don't know if you know that. Long, long ago it ran on Unix. Um, the the story with Linux, and you'll hear different stories from different people, Um there have been a lot of requests for it over the years, undeniably. But there are so many different instantiations and flavors of Linux that in order to hold our quality bar, and you know, to my point before about it being really solid and stable, um, that would be a tremendous amount of support. And it would be a huge moving target just to keep that working all the time. The problem with a... Um, you know, an open platform like that is that it can get better and it can get worse and it can change all the time. So trying to keep like a gold standard uh, flagship property running really well in that environment is, uh, it's not impossible, but it would require a lot of people. The other reason I'd give you for not not having done it yet is there's an enormous expectation that if we do something with one application, we're going to do it with the rest because our stuff yeah. is all served all alongside yeah. uh, each other. And so also the, the ROI on it, like what, 2% of people that use computers or less use Linux? I'd be so <clears throat> excited to have Photoshop run on Linux. But, but why? Wait, why? why? Um, I don't like Windows. I'm a PC user, but I don't like Windows. Come to the Mac. It's great. I hate Mac. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the thing is, I mean, and there's a lot of folks at, at places like Pixar who feel the same way that you do, where um, they they need computers to do things that only sort of home-built or custom-built computers can do. They rely on Linux, and they want Photoshop so badly on there. So I get the passion, and I get the want. Yeah, there's, I mean, because there's a lot of node-based software that runs on Linux that are used in, you know, big, big compositing studios simply because mm -hmm. it costs so much to get Windows or Mac licenses on the computers that they, they all have Linux because it's freeware. And so as a result, this crazy node-based software works on it. But understanding, of course, that it is kind of like trying to build a mansion on an earthquake. <laughs> you know what was right. built on Linux? The Mac. <laughs> yeah. Mac. Come to the come to the Mac side. It's never <laughs> happening. It's not happening. Yeah, it's just not going to do it. <laughs> well, now with that attitude. <laughs> if Mac starts building again, if, if Mac starts outperforming PCs and computers again, because I'm going to go to whatever's going to get me the job done. And right now, and for the last few years, Mac ain't cutting it. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, we won't go down. We it. won't have that <laughs> We're gonna have it conversation again. again. We'll, we'll keep having it. That sounds like a pretty juicy podcast. So. <laughs> we've been going on. We've and off yeah, we've gone to that debate. Lots a of controversy of times. over yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about Photoshop, but you're no longer on that team. 
Right. I still, you know, I'm still spokesperson. Y'all, if you were to go to Max, uh, the last three years, I've been in the keynote rolling out what's new and in, in, you know, from that team and whatnot. I work super closely with them. I, at a certain point, um, one of the folks higher up in the company came to me and said, you know, we have amazing technology. Um, what what we're struggling with is awareness and understanding. And, and you do a really great job of explaining to people why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and we need you to do that with our partners, with the press, uh, and representing the products. And so for me, it was an opportunity to to do something that no one ever does, which is step off the Photoshop team. Um, yeah, was that hard to do? Absolutely. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was difficult. It was uh, very emotional. Yeah, Did they give you an out that you can go back to the team if you want to, or was this a, You know, done? I still represent them all the time, so yeah. in many ways it feels like I'm still on it, but it was, yeah, it 15 years is a long time. I grew up on yeah. on that team. How long did it take you to kind of commit to that decision to, to bounce and do something? With- a while, yeah, yeah. Quite a while. I, I, I'm really excited about mobile. I, I truly believe, um, and we can talk about that if you guys want, but I, I really believe that's the future of creativity. You know, as a, as a father, um, and seeing how my kids are growing up and um, just seeing how the world's changing, I we all have computers in our pockets. Um, they're, I think it's so exciting and so cool. Uh, the desktops are wonderful, but for me, I, I think that the most exciting things are yet to come on mobile. And so that was that was a big part of my uh, decision. My decision, yeah. How much of, well, you guys probably know this, but how much of your users are actually starting to use Photoshop on mobile, iPad, and the iPhone? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, our our users are, um, they're very entrenched for the most part on the desktop. They're very used to that workflow. It solves their problems. They don't have a problem with that yeah. uh, particular workflow at all. They use phones. They use tablets mainly to show finished work, mainly so they can pull up their stuff or, you know, the, the Lightroom, uh, the, the iPad is a brilliant portfolio. It's, it's a beautiful screen. It's very portable. It's a great way to show off your work. Uh, your videos can live next to your stills. For the most part, I would say when I talk to them about what they can do with mobile, they, they just, it never occurred to them. They're so used to thinking of it as less than. And the more time I spend with the existing users, I realize that it's, it's really it's not necessarily going to happen that they're going to move platforms. And I think that that's, that's perfectly fine. It's people who are falling in love with photography on the iPhone or buying their first camera. Calling that new where, market. Yeah, right now what they're doing is someone, someone gets, this happens all the time, they get uh, an iPhone, they fall in love with photography, they're huge on Instagram, right? They have no training in, in photography, but they, they've got a good eye and, they, and they've got a good eye for editing and they start killing it. And somewhere along the line, they say, well, now I need to get into serious software. They're jumping from a phone to 27-year-old Photoshop. And that's an insanely jarring transition because I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it this way, but the later you get into Photoshop, the, the, harder, more, it is. the harder it is and the more you have to learn. Yeah. And so I'm really excited about the future. I'm excited about all the people who haven't found their way to it yet. I'm proud of all the people who have managed to get so much done on Photoshop because it is – really complicated and really powerful. Um, but I think that that's a, it's a big ask of folks to go from their first camera to Lightroom or Photoshop. It's, it's really complex. So I actually think an iPad or something like that is a really nice inroad. You know a weird user group that you guys have completely revolutionized? Tattoo artists. Really? Yeah, so obviously... You don't I know anything about, about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously I, I have a lot of tattoos. And I've been getting tattoos for a while, and I've been going back to the same guy in the same studio for a long time. And at first, they were all drawing, you know, on, on paper. And it would, you, would, you would sit there and wait for hours in the waiting room, like, 
just kind of waiting. And slowly over the last year or two, all of them are now migrating to the iPad hmm. and Photoshop. Hmm. And it's a, like they cut the time in half and the artwork is way better. Like the tools now are able to do it quicker, but, you know, even better. And Interesting. You, you spend way less time waiting. Like, and as soon as uh, my artist started using it and showing people, every single other artist there now does it. There's not one person that draws. And there's, you know, 20 probably artists at these two studios that it's kind of a chain in St. Louis. It's it's interesting, you know. The there are certain things, and I'm t when I think about the iPad, this all of my thinking has pretty much changed since the iPad Pro came out because that was that was Apple saying, and other people have done some interesting things with it as well. You know, the uh, the new Surface Studio, super interesting. Um, but it was Apple saying this thing is more than what you've known an iPad to be. Yeah. It has uh, an input device, it has a stylus, it has a keyboard, it has a potent GPU, it has a beautiful P3 screen. It has a lot of room. It's got fast cellular. Suddenly it's like, it's not just doing things that does, but it's doing things that doesn't do. Amazing battery life, super portable, uh, adaptive screen. It was the illustrators who picked up on it right away. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get back to drawing. They've, they've been drawing, you know, to the, often to the right of their computer while looking up at the screen, which is, a, that's a lot to ask. That's not how they think. That's not how they draw. They want to draw directly on uh the surface that they're they're trying to affect and so they took to the ipad pro and that is you, you see it i'm sure you see it with tattoo artists you see it with people who are doing storyboarding cartooning uh sketching ideation illustration that's their platform they've they've taken over on that um and so those are starting to pop up and i i do believe there's a there's room for that with photography because you can offload your raw files onto an ipad now you can edit those raw files in lightroom mobile those raw files then live in the cloud, which are available across devices. And so you're doing all these things that some of them you can only do on the desktop. Some of them you can't do on the desktop. So like in Lightroom, your catalog lives on the desktop. In Lightroom Mobile, your catalog lives in the cloud. So that's actually a lot more elegant than what you're doing on the desktop. So it's kind of an interesting problem, though, in some ways. You're, you're now... Um addressing the needs of the newer generation mm -hmm. and you're kind of grooming them and getting them involved with the, with the platforms. Mm -hmm. And you're right. A lot of people who are entrenched in it, probably people like us would not easily shift if we ever would shift right. off of the desktop. So, you know, where do you go with it? Are you ever able to blend those two or do you have these kind of separate users where eventually guys like us die off, yeah. you know? And I mean, what happens to, I mean, how far will mobile go, I guess? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I went back to watching that, uh, you guys probably saw it, that, that interview with um, Steve Jobs and Walt Mossberg, you know, mm -hmm. a famous interview. And he, he's talking about the iPad shortly after the iPad came out. And he's not even totally behind the iPad so much. But what he's saying is that computers have been like trucks up until now. And at the turn of the century, everybody needed trucks. There were farms, there weren't a lot of roads. Um, you know, it was before the cities had really been built and there was an infrastructure and there were trains and whatnot. And trucks made a lot of sense. And trucks are like PCs, right? That they're, they have made perfect sense. And if you've got one and you use it, it makes perfect sense. But as things change and as the world develops, the needs of folks getting around are different. And asking a desktop or asking a truck to behave like a car in the city, it, it doesn't really make sense. It, again, it makes sense if you're using it. It's all you know. But if you're just coming into it, it's not actually the best solution for the problem. You want something that's highly portable, that's adaptive. You want something where you can sign into any one of them and get the same experience. 
uh, you want to totally rethink it. And in that interview, he's really candid about saying, hey, I don't know if the iPad is the solution to that, but it's our first step away from trucks. And so to answer your question, I think that um, I think the desktop is going to be around for a really long time. Um, I think that it's uh, it's super important. It, it's not like I think it's a dinosaur or something. I I'm weaned on it and I love it and I go to it for all sorts of things. But I don't think it's the right solution for uh, the people who are coming up now. And I think we're going to look back on it and it's it's going to look pretty antiquated. You know, I I. Um, this just the whole notion of like a keyboard with a swing up display and and just the way that things work and the way that things feel and this legacy software that's been around in a really long time with these drop down menus and whatnot it it's great we all know it but it doesn't it doesn't uh it's not the most modern way of doing things apple recently filed a patent where it looks like you your phone will drop in and take the place of the touchpad. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Do you think things like the Wacom tablet are going to go away and we're just going to be using like our mobile devices that serve so many purposes? Because like now you can technically like our our marketing director is always pushing like, man, you can just use the iPad Pro as your Wacom tablet and like connect that to your uh, desktop and use that. And like we've actually had a few researchers come and be like, you know what? Actually, this actually works pretty good. Yeah. Like, so do you think things like that are, are going away? So there's there is an app called AstroPad, which you guys probably yeah, heard of. Totally that's cool. what, yeah, that's yeah. What yeah, my wife loves it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's neat. You know, it's a couple of former Apple engineers. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um it's it's not exactly the same as a, a Cintiq, but what's cool about it is it's not just a Cintiq, it's an iPad too, right? Mm-hmm. It goes on to be an iPad. I think it's a great idea and I think it's it's really cool. I think we've been sort of programmed to think that mobile is an either or you're on the desktop or you're on mobile. I love challenging that with, well, here's a multi-touch um, device that can do a lot of things. It's got an accelerometer built into it and it's got touch built into it. Why can't that play with this other thing? In fact, when the iPad first came out, um, I led a, a product that, you know, I think a lot of people shortly after looked at it as a failure, but it was opening up an API with Photoshop so that you could, um, interact with Photoshop's controls directly on the iPad. And so you, you could make customizable toolbars and whatnot. At the time, people thought that was kind of weird, but then AstroPad comes out, and I was like, that's what we were doing. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> this, there's, theirs is much more polished, but it's the same, the same idea. So when I saw that, that patent filing the other day, I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought the touch bar was interesting on the new MacBook. It's, it's a different way of thinking about uh, contextual interface. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of the idea that Imagine Photoshop when you come in there, instead of having 60, 80 tools on the left and hundreds of menu commands, what if it was contextual and dynamic and it was adapting to whatever you're doing? Yeah. So when you had the text tool, you only had things that worked with the text tool. The way it works right now is everything is always there and you have to figure out which things work with each other. Um, the only way to solve that problem is to, to know where you ended up and then undo it all and rejigger it. Right. So it I understand why it's there, but mobile yeah. is a great opportunity to say, well, if we were doing it all over again, wouldn't it be cool if you just called up the stuff you needed when you needed it? All right. So That's you brought up the touch idea. bar. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up. Yeah. I think it is a great innovation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that it changes with the app you're working on. I think the way that they presented it though, was a little bit of a slap in the face in terms of like, all right, now we're going to open uh, Adobe Photoshop and like, She's up there editing a lot of programs and spending a lot of time in what looked like not the best ergonomic position for your hands. I think the way they positioned it with, like, Photoshop and Pro applications like Final Cut 
that's where you, you saw a lot of the creatives kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get a little backlash. Yeah, yeah. there's a, just a lot backlash. of backlash. And there has been, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the feedback, I've, I've got one. I've got a new MacBook Pro. I, I, I needed a new uh, Mac, and, and it was time, and it seemed like a pretty significant refresh. Um, so I, I consider myself sort of an early adopter. And the, the feedback I had heard was that, the touch bar is really a neat idea, but if you're a power user, you're not looking at the keyboard. You're looking at the screen, and yeah. I, that's spot on. You, you aren't looking at a front row of the keyboard, and to your point about ergonomics, you're also not interacting with it um, by pressing your fingers up to the front of the screen. I love it uh, in Safari. I love it with um, music where I can yeah. scrub forward. I love it in like uh, you know Word docs and whatnot where I'm marking stuff up. Yeah. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not... I'm not going as deep in Photoshop, but that might just be because I'm so locked onto my keyboard shortcuts and my my way of doing things. I'm exactly. pretty rooted in my way. The power sure. users that are really getting into Photoshop are they have the shortcuts, they have the commands built into their tablet uh, using those shortcut buttons. Yeah, it was just the way they present it. It's a great innovation. They just should have left it at. Um, it changes with your applications and it adopts adapts to what you need. It to yeah, like they pushed. I, I I wrote many articles about this online. So it's yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I'm beating into the bush at this point. No, my my first thought with <laughs> yeah. it was that it's a good enough idea that God, why does the why does the keyboard get so much real estate? Shouldn't this whole surface be dynamic and yeah, adaptive? right? Wouldn't yeah. that be cool? We've got this huge trackpad. Would build a little Wacom tablet into the trackpad? Yeah, that would be, be cool. that would that be, be, be cool. the bee's yeah. knees. Really smart. Yeah. The bee's knees, right? Patent that. Yeah. <laughs> Should we? Yeah. All right, we might not we. I don't think we can publish this uh, episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to get around to it. I thought thought at some point Razer Computers was working on something like that with like a secondary, I think they pulled it, but it was like a secondary smaller window on the keyboard itself. I think that'd be awesome. Every retoucher I talked to was like, yes. I don't know why it disappeared. Mm. I had, you know, I was talking to one of the developers. I don't remember exactly what his position was on it, but anyways, it was something, you know, because, uh, it brought me in to be like, you know, what do you want on a laptop? And I was like, this would be awesome. And like, oh, we tried that. We got rid of it. And I was like, bring it back. You know, another thing, you know, another thing that I get uh, hear from a lot of retouchers, so I'm interested to hear your uh, opinion, Renee. It doesn't need to be that big. Every retoucher I know makes the, like, the position right. like three by three inches. Super small. Oh, my God, So they need yeah. to be making, like, these mini tablets. I would, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause, I mean, my tablet is is minimized down to about an inch and a half square hmm. inch and, and a half it's that's really how small, small. It is. that's tiny it's very very small but yeah. i mean i because what was happening is I, I was destroying the joint my rotator cuff my hmm. elbow my wrist and the tendons in my hands were getting fried from that's editing so much in these huge movements wow. you know 18 hours a day and so i was just like oh my god what am i gonna do i'm gonna have to like quit my I have to quit photography and, and photo manipulation because I can't do the work anymore. And then Wacom came out with the way to minimize. It came out with the new Intuos because uh, I was working on a bamboo at the time and, you know, wasn't adjustable. So, yeah, they, they made this thing so you can make it smaller. And I was like, awesome. I have a small Intuos Pro and I'm using, you know, a sixteenth of it. Right. <laughs> Literally one that you could put in your pocket. Yeah. We've just become be cool. millionaires twice on two ideas. Oh, oh, oh the other thing is we totally make can't the pens this, but we not, can cut you in. Make the pens not black. Can we make like brightly colored pens? Why? Because the pen the they pens disappear. Like you set them down and then they go into Narnia. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like brightly colored pens and small tablets would be great. Like we don't need you know, sure that maybe there's illustrators who love like that big swooping thing but like four by four inches would be enough yeah 
There's so many jokes there. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> All right. So, Brian, I'm curious about uh, the different teams at mm-hmm. Adobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which team is the biggest? Is it Photoshop or is it? it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know which team is the biggest. It's often newer projects. Um, so I can tell you that something like Adobe X- XD, Experience Design, that's a pretty big team. That's that's pretty well staffed. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Yeah, so it's it's a new project. I can I can send you some information about it later, but it's all about um, you know, uh, experience design and and you know, UI design, interactive design, um, things that Photoshop wasn't necessarily best set up to do. Um, so you've got apps, you know, you've got things like Sketch that are trying to solve that problem. Um, and so XD is in, in beta right now, but it's coming along really quickly. It's, it's a really neat app. And so they've got a lot of people doing that. Back when we did InDesign, you know, if you think back to when Quark was around, that was mm-hmm. an extremely established leader. It was, yeah. it was considered impossible uh, to, to knock that off. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, it's yeah. really gone. Um, and so the InDesign team at, at that time was huge because they had a very important mountain to climb and they needed a lot of people. Um, Photoshop's a lot leaner than you would think. There are there are a lot few people than you would expect. I would guess thirty eight. <laughs> it's a lot more than that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's probably but, like thirty eight hundred. But, but yeah. remember that you have you know you've got a, a lot. If you ever roll the credits on Photoshop, you can get an idea yeah, 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 of yeah, who's in there. But you've got. Is it in the thousands? No, 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 no. It's it, three hundred and seventy-two. Oh, <laughs> no, it's, Ignore him. See the the tricky thing about it: the core team, little little more than a hundred people. Um, but there's a lot of people beyond the core team. There's people who are translating it into over two dozen languages. Wow. Um, you know, there are people that are doing research on other teams that their research is found in the app. Uh, there's core technologies that are developed that are shared across apps that are also in Photoshop. So. It can be tricky to say how many people are on a team because so many teams borrow things from uh, each other. Very cool. um, they're, you know, they're loosely built around uh, floors. We have people all over the world, but in the Photoshop team, most of it is on one floor in in San Jose at our headquarters. Um, but all of these teams have different people in, in different spots. So, so I have a question then, like on development. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, with the with the invention of 360 cameras and VR. Yeah. Um, is Photoshop ever going to have a grip in that? Or do like is that something that's coming? Am I just oblivious to what's going yeah, on? Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question. I should say that, you know, I as a publicly traded company, if I talk about things that haven't happened yet. Secret then, squirrel uh, stuff, too. Secret squirrel. I, I have a, a bark collar that goes off. <laughs> um, but we certainly don't ignore uh, trends. And we've shown some, some research around 360 stuff. I've played around with some early stuff. Uh, we've done some sneaks of it. It's undeniably not just a fad. It's it's happening. You look at the new, you know, I don't know if you guys saw GoPro just came out with a new camera that's all about um, 360. You know, people have been anticipating this for a while. Facebook's super involved in that. Mm-hmm. Google's super involved in it. Um, it's a big, big thing. In fact, at Max last year, and if you guys go this year, you'll see there's tons of installations on the show floor that are devoted to these 360 environments, these 3D environments. Um, so we haven't been really uh, out there with what we're working on, but I can tell you that it's it is very much happening, and we have close partnerships with people who are involved in it, and we're not blind to it. It's pretty interesting. It's it's amazing how quickly things are evolving there. I want to do 360 photo manipulations so All bad, right. so right. bad. Wow, that'd be cool, like a photo that you could walk through. Because I don't hate myself enough already. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, like for for real, that'd be so awesome. Yeah. Just like I go out, like get 360 be... footage, and then you're doing 360 photo manipulations. That would be amazing. This immersive experience. 
That'd yeah. be so That'd be cool. How long do you think cool. that would take you to retouch something that's three sick, like, you know, that Forever. you walk through? Um, 18 hours a day to, now. So I mean, forever. like, really, like, conceptually, I've been thinking about a lot since 360 came out. I was like, how do I get in on this? Yeah. Ahead, like, you know, I, I want right. it. Right. <laughs> and then the question is, you know, do you shoot it all on location and then composite the location, or do you shoot it all in the studio? And then blah, 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 it gets complicated. Um, because you're doing, dealing with a spherical space. Mm-hmm. So you're having distortion and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's impossible so, now to retouch anything that's like a 360 yeah, I would assume that you would have a lot of distortion. Like, you know, when you look mm-hmm. at a globe and yeah. then you flatten it out, mm-hmm. it, it's cut differently, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're going to run into the same problem, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, for me, for me, I mean, like going out and collecting 360 footage and then slicing that up right. and then putting that in, that's just so Would you retouch cool. it in VR? Would you I would love to. Space? I'd be so, so excited. That would be trippy. We've shown I want it. some painting technology where you can do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I'd say is that we, you know, one of the things that we see when we talk to like um, automotive companies is that if you go to, you know, Audi's site or Porsche's site and whatnot and you look at stuff, there aren't any real cars there for the most part. Those are not cars. Right. They're, they're 3D. Uh, the paint is, you know, it's layered on there. The leather is textures. It's all mapped over 3D surfaces. The only photo you'll find in those is usually the background. Uh, and I've I've looked at their workflows, and they're amazing. And so we actually have a project. It's a thing called Project Felix that we announced at Max last year alongside XD, which is all about 3D compositing. Uh, and it touches a lot of edges of what you're talking about. So that's, it's very much a thing. Um, I think it's early days, and people are trying to figure out a lot of the problems that you describe, which is, how do I shoot it? How do I combine it? What's the best workflow? You know, you don't want to create additional work. Um, but I'm I'm fascinated by this whole idea of all of these technologies come along, and then it's it's up to all of us to stitch them together and figure out well, how they play together. Um, and just as a super brief digression, way back when when the steam engine came out, apparently I've heard this story um, about how there were like 40 competing patents for the same idea. People who had no knowledge of each other whatsoever that all invented the same thing in isolation just because all of the pieces were there. And so it's referred to as steam engine time. And I think about steam engine time a lot these days because we've got 3D, we've got 360, we've got uh, Wi-Fi, we have mobile devices, we have accelerometers, we all have screens. There's so many interesting things happening. We all have cameras. Um, How does it all converge? And, And I feel like we're seeing new stuff every week. Uh, so it's such an exciting time. Yeah. What do your days look like now? You, you, you're doing so many different things inside of Adobe and touching so many different products. What are your days like? Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you that it's similar to being a product manager in that no day is the same. There's not this. There's just not any such thing as the same day. Um, I'm doing a lot of the stuff that I love, which is driving awareness of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I'm working with press and partners and I, you know, I get to do stuff like this. So yeah. I, I love, I love this. I love explaining why we've done what we did and, and hopefully giving people an idea of, of what we're doing. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot of talking for a guy who's always been pretty introverted and shy. <laughs> um, and well, you're doing a good job. Thanks. Thanks. I'm trying. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, I'd say the most exciting and most recharging part of it is that you spend a lot of time out there in my case, with press, with partners, you know, I work closely with uh, with Apple. I work closely with Kelby and, and his group. Um, you know, a lot of the educators, they all have feedback that then drives our products forward. So if you're listening and you're able to bring it back to the teams in a way that they're able to do something with it, then you're able to see the 
apps evolve and technology evolve, and then you're able to bring it back out to them. So it's this sort of, you know, this beautiful cycle of, of things not being quite done, getting critical feedback, polishing them, tweaking them, bringing to them, getting hugs, and then them coming up with some entirely new problem. That's, you know. <laughs> getting that's, hugs. That's, <laughs> there, that's been the best part of my career, I would say, is walking off stage explaining that we did something and it's usually something little and having someone walk up and hug me because I gave them back like something that went in. days of their week or yeah. Yeah, saved them time or I solved some problem that was driving them crazy. That's cool. What's the best way for people to give feedback if they have some weird thing, their issue they're working with, they want to give feedback to you guys? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great things about these days is there's more ways than ever. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's get sat, which is get satisfaction. There's the there, our Facebook presence is enormous. We've got you know I think over seven million fans just for Photoshop, and I'm still really closely involved in that. There's a whole team of us that look at that every day. We share sneaks, we share stuff there. Um, there's forums for every single application, and there there always have been. Uh, there's shows like this and like Max where you've got people from the product teams. And um, I think you'll often find that folks like myself, I, I put my email address, hughes at adobe.com, you know, write me. Um, I, I share that stuff all the time, and a lot of us do. So we're, I think Adobe's done a great job of being really open and being really open to feedback, and we take it from all different, you know, places. We even have a guy who's a chief customer advocate. That's all he does is listen to people, and he's on the Photoshop team. His name's Jeff Tranberry. He's such a hero. All the guy does is listen to people's gripes and help people out. So he's like, it's not customer support. It's so much more nuanced and technical and, and detailed than that. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us, and we're, we are listening. So outside of Adobe, you like to race cars, correct? You have some weird, yeah, weird thing going on? Yeah, so I, I teach people to drive on the racetrack. Um, I, I don't. I grew up in a racing family. Oh, really? Um, racing is one of those things that... Uh, you do because you're either just exceptionally talented or really, really wealthy, and I'm neither. Um, <laughs> so I like showing other people how to do it because it means you get to drive their car, and, and uh, all things being relative, it makes you feel like you're pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a motorsports family, and I didn't really have any choice but to love cars and, and driving. So that's how I ended up in that. So do you have a favorite car now that you're kind of drilling over? Uh, yeah, always. We could devolve this very, very, very quickly. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. I'll tell you that uh, I've got I've gotten to drive a lot of really fun cars, a lot of fast cars on the world's best racetracks. My uh, it doesn't even sound true when I say it, but it is my my stepfather who raised me designed Laguna Seca, which if you know about yeah, cars, seriously, is, yeah. So I literally oh, grew up. Yeah, on, you're uh, not kidding. I learned around. to drive, you know, on Laguna Seca. Um, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So I, I That's grew up a in this big stuff. deal. So I, I've always been around cars, and I've always been around really cool cars, um, and I've driven a lot of super fast. I've driven my dream car. I've driven a McLaren F1, which is an amazing car. Oh, wow. But for me, honestly, like on the racetrack or something, I have the most fun driving um, underpowered cars fast. And and I, I used to think that was weird, but if you if you talk to most of these guys who are in cars, that's kind of a common thread is trying to get the most out of something that's it's a good car, but it's not necessarily like a supercar. The truth is, insanely powerful cars, you know, a, a LaFerrari or a McLaren P1 or something, that stuff's nerve-wracking. It's insanely expensive. It's very, very touchy. Um, it's it When you make a mistake, you're so far at the edge that it's going to hurt you. When yeah, it's you hard to recover it. from that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I, I bump into this. I'm sorry we've devolved into this, but you, you guys. No, it's good. You pulled we, the string honestly, in the back of honestly, my. Honestly, this conversation has been the most on track we've had all oh, day. We, yeah, we, we go, yeah, yeah. We we go completely lunatics. off. Well, like, I'm I'm happy to to, yeah. to help you take this one off the tracks. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Right. When, when we do a driving school, we do these high performance driving schools. I would say the most common question, because you've got a lot of wealthy Bay Area guys. They'll show up in a real fancy car. They'll show up in a you know, 911 or M3 or M5 or something, and they'll say, I've got about $10,000 to spend. What should I do to it to make it faster? You hear this all the time. And I've heard my, uh, my stepdad say this, and I say it myself, which is you, you really want to make this car as fast as possible, right? And you, you want to you go as quick as possible around the racetrack. Yeah, yeah, what do I do? What do I get? What, Learn you know, how to drive Turbo it. this and that. And we tell them, go, go get yourself a you know, mid-'90s Miata. And put a roll bar in it and come back out here with that. Because the best drivers I've ever met, uh, all of them started off spec Miata racing, driving underpowered cars until they could wring out everything the car had. And then you put those guys in a real car and they are just on fire. They're unstoppable. But I'll tell you, 90%, 95% of those people you tell that to, that's not what they want. That's not what they want to hear. They want... Uh, supercharger they want nitrous they want something they don't want thanks yeah, a lot got fast a, they've got a 911 they don't want a miata they don't. <laughs> from the 90s yeah. they don't and <laughs> it's, it's ego it's ego yeah. exactly um yeah. but the truth is i mean the fastest folks i've seen out there drive very modest cars every once in a while one of our instructors will go rent a car like just a totally normal car they'll show up at a driving school and they'll go out there and they'll pass everybody just to show them hey i know you guys think it's about the gear and it is at the very very far end um, but it's it's not for a long time. I tell people that with Wacom tablets. <laughs> I tell people to buy the cheapest, crappiest bamboo right. tablet, get really good at it, and then buy an Intuos Pro. All right, what's the correct pronunciation of that company? You just call it Wacom. We call it Wacom. I don't know. It's Canada. It, I've heard it all. I, I've worked <laughs> with them, and the folks that do I've worked know? with say Wacom. Wacom. But I've heard Wacom. I've heard Wacom. I've heard Wacom. We I all know just, what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's like saying a boot and a bout. There you go. No, 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 it's not. No one, no. It's, a, it's about. No, no, no. Americans say about. What do you, you say? say hey, when, when I go back home, you'll hear me being Canadian say about. My friends, my American and British friends make fun of me for it. Right. We, my, say, we say process, you say process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. My, so, I mean, wake on, whack on is this, we know what we're talking about. Sometimes it really is a different word. So my, my in-laws are, are British and I, they say, you know, aluminium. And, yeah, and right. I was giving them grief. That's like, the funniest one. You guys are putting, you're putting another vowel in there. Like right. that's not even in there. Uh, and they didn't push back on this one. They just defended it. But I looked it up and there actually are two words. There is a word that has another vowel in it that is considered that pronunciation. So all these years I've been ranting about, you know, it's aluminum. How could it be aluminum? There's not <laughs> yeah. even another letter in there, but there is a spelling of it that has another we letter in it. We did a tutorial with Jake Hicks, and uh, we had this problem. Every time he would share something, because it had uh, he, he does color gelled photography. Okay. C-O-L-O-U-R. Right. Canadians Colour. do it that way, too. Kalur. Classy. What? <laughs> so he'd get on us every time we shared. He's like, you guys spelled the tutorial wrong. This is my tutorial. You got to change it. And I was like, oh, I'm not changing it. That's a pride thing. <laughs> not it's American. Do it. well, yeah. American. It is American. <laughs> well, British and, and Canada is that's two countries on one. So we spell it with a U. Okay. So. Mm. There's mm -hmm. gray and gray. I mean, there's all mm -hmm. different yeah. variations right. of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is it neighbor and neighbor? Is there one of those without yeah. a U? Neighbor, yeah. Neighbor. Neighbor. It's complicated. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to learn the English language? No. I, like, <laughs> they actually say English is one of the hardest languages to learn. I'm sure it which is. Is kind of counterintuitive because you'd always think it's like Russian and Chinese. You've grown up with it. It makes sense to you. Yeah. No, I grew, it, we we grew up with English, and you it doesn't make sense. If you think about it logically, yeah. you can read those sentences online where you add a, a comma between every single word and it completely changes the meaning of the sentence, but it's yeah. exact same words, just one pronunciation away from changing everything. Like, let's eat grandma and let's eat grandma. Right. <laughs> well, you, you always see the, oh, you know, O-U-G-H can make the sound of ow, o, uh, ooh, like it can make yeah. all of these different sounds. How right. are you supposed to know which one yeah. it, it's making? So, yeah, it's it's crazy. Shout out to the Oxford comma. The Oxford comma is only good to prove that you went to college or university. <laughs> They're now saying that it's not correct to use the Oxford comma. Like It's a big debate. It's silly. You it's can like push the number of planets it. in the solar system. Everyone's arguing over it and passionately over something. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. A whole lot. <laughs> it's pretty minute. I still can't believe they found all those planets that they just found like super far away, like 21 light years away what? or 23. It's just science. And it would take yeah. us, it would take a message millions of years to get there. Yeah, that's crazy. crazy. So like, we're never going to so know. So those like, planets are already exploded and gone and yeah, dead. They and, could be. Like, that's probably. what's crazy. Really? A lot of them are gone. Yeah. What we're seeing so is cool. 20 million years old. That's or whatever I need to get back on the internet this Isn't week. Crazy? Read this. This is cool. There's a, there's a whole string of them. And they're like, oh, this that looks like a bunch of Earths. And it's like, oh, it's so far away. It's so cool, but they're already dead. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. can't go there. <laughs> you don't know. They might be dead. They might not be. Yeah. You don't know. Think positively, Renee. Jeez. Yeah. I refuse. Come on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of positive, I think this has been a great conversation. Yeah, this has been Thank one of the most enjoyable. Sure. We'd love to have you back if we get Absolutely. together at Adobe Max. Yeah, we'll see you at Adobe Max. Yeah, By all means. Thanks for the tickets. Be there. Thanks for yeah, the you got it. On me. Put on my costume. Uh, my special guest. No, it's it's been a blast. I love talking about this stuff. I'm obviously passionate about it. Very, you guys yeah. let me talk about cars, which is just... That, that you made my we'll day. have to send you. Uh, we just did a car tutorial. You know, Easton Chang, an Australian-based yeah, photographer. Yeah, yeah. We spent two weeks with him, and uh, we were in California. We were in uh, the Midwest. Did motorcycles. We did uh, Porsches. We nice. did. What else did we do? Uh, oh god, we did a bunch of stuff. We did. What do we do? We did a nine eleven out in um, the desert. We did. We did a Porsche um, down south um, with a rig did, shot. We did a, a Ford. Um, a Lotus. Did yeah. a Ford. Wow. It was a Which Challenger. One? No, it was a Mustang. Oh, did you see we the new Challenger? That GT. no, it's not a Challenger. The yeah, Demon. No. Or? Yeah, the Demon. Yeah, yeah. It's the fastest yeah. car that's been a production car ever made. Yeah, Dodge just came out with. Have you seen? No, the I haven't seen about this. It's they've, they've, they've got the oh, Hellcat. It's, it's even that. crazier than that. It's yeah. seven hundred horsepower, and almost yeah. everybody it's, that's it's bought already it has banned. It. It's already banned from racing yeah. on like the what is what is it, the Naha or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Webb Bland wild. shot Nara. that. Did that he? Was, yeah, that was yeah. so cool. I was like, "What you guys? The car? That's cool." I yeah, love that we we live at this time where we've got like very forward thinking electric cars and clean, and then there's stuff like the Demon that comes out of nowhere. It's like, what? It's because they made the Hellcat. <laughs> they made the Hellcat faster and called it something else. That's crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. already insanely crazy. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One more car question. If you're such a car guy, what's your daily driver? My daily driver is a uh, GTI. It's a it's a four door Volkswagen GTI. Yeah. Which Those are fun cars. Is a yeah. super fun car. I've had fancy cars, and I uh, I drive like crazy. I put a lot of miles on my car, and I need something that's just fun and dependable. So not a very sexy answer. I'm sorry. 
Um, but it's if, no, if you cars. read about it, it's a it's those a great cars. Solid car. I've driven them. They're yeah. fun. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for, for coming by. And this has been a great conversation. Thanks, we, guys. we really do appreciate it. I enjoyed it. To yeah, download this, this podcast and all of our podcasts, you can go to rggedupodcast.com. And you can also check out our tutorials, especially the car tutorial we just did with you and Chang <laughs> at a shameless plug. rggedu.com. Thanks again. It's yeah, really it's been fun. fun. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, the podcast is over. But before you go, I just wanted to let you know that I always take a penny from the penny tray at the gas station, but I never leave one. 